The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. Hello and welcome to the Big Technology Podcast, a show for cool-headed, nuanced conversations of the tech world and beyond. And we are coming to you from Davos this week in collaboration with the Web3 Foundation and Unfinished. Our guest today is Gavin Wood, the co-founder of Ethereum and creator of Polkadot. We've had a handful of conversations about Web3 on this show, but I don't think any has been uh, as in-depth as the one you're about to hear. Gavin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. So you're, you're the... Uh, co-founder of Ethereum, creator of Polkadot, two of the most influential crypto projects um, that we have today. And both of them challenge the current institutions. And so I've heard two legends about you. Um, the first is that you decided to get into this after seeing the revelations from Ed Snowden. The second is that you decided to make these moves after seeing the financial collapse in 2009. So which one of those is true? Um, <clears throat> I think the, uh, the time that this happened was, was around 2013. Um, so I guess, you know, the, uh, the Snowden revelations were, were sort of pretty timely back then. Um, and certainly, uh, you know, I mentioned this in the web three, um, sort of, um, little document thing that I wrote back, back, uh, back in 2014. Uh, but that said, um, the, the 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 financial crash in two thousand and eight was uh, it very much sort of set the scene, and it 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 made me uh, increasingly aware that a lot of the uh, a lot of what goes on in the world that is very uh, that is crucial for you know the uh, continued uh, functioning of of everyday life is uh, is hidden and and rather opaque and not always in the best of hands. Right. And so it is great to start off this way because we often hear about uh, people who are interested in Web3 and their desire to fix a broken system. But we don't really talk too much about the broken system. Oftentimes it's assumed. So what about the Snowden revelations in particular made you think that the system we had was broken and that we needed to build a new one? Um, the, the, the depth to which... Um, you know, I have expectations as a citizen in a free society. And those expectations sort of, uh, I, you know, I expect certain um, things to work in particular ways. I expect a degree of privacy. I expect that, um, you know, random government employees cannot um, arbitrarily snoop on my video calls, like without good cause at least. Um preferably from a judge who is uh, entirely unbiased, right? Um, and when, you know, when it became clear the degree to which um, this was really not happening in society, when it became clear that the, um, the social contract was not being um, uh, faithfully honoured on the side of, uh, of government... Uh, and in particular, security services and government. I don't, you know, I don't doubt that there are um, plenty of government employees that are, you know, uh, great, decent, upstanding people, keen on um, 
on uh, on honouring the, the sort of social contract. But I think uh, to a large extent, the security services uh, and, and certainly the Snowden revelations would 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 uh, support this. Um, sort of consider themselves, um, uh, you know, a power uh, um, that that needs little um, uh, uh, judicial oversight, little. Uh, uh, little need for checks or balances, and this is um, uh, unfortunate that we that that uh, that we live in a society where, um, on the face of it, we have uh, statutes, we have um, uh, you know ethics, we have um, a, a rich history of 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 understanding and trying to keep in place. And, um, and 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 be very vigilant of our freedoms, and yet, um, you know, behind the curtain, um, it's not all quite as it seems. So one of the things that I want to know is why then go ahead and try to build a new web, build something totally from scratch that has technical difficulties, versus just try to reform the system as it existed back then, exists today. Yeah, I'm. Well, firstly, I'm a technologist, not a politician. And I, I fear that to attempt to reform the system begins in the world of politics, um, a murky world at best. Um, secondly, uh, I actually, I believe that to a large extent technology, um, I wouldn't say necessarily created the problem, but the the use of, of, uh, of you know, internet, of, of this broad, you know, um, all-encompassing communication technology um, has has facilitated this problem to exist, and I I'm not convinced, or at least I am hopeful that technology is uh, is the means by which we can um, turn this technology to a slightly better path. Well, I'm going to blow up my order of questions now. So, so you talked about um, communications as the issue, communication technology. Can you expand on that? I wouldn't say it's the issue. I would say it facilitated the issue. Yeah, what does that mean? Um, <clears throat> I, think, I think there is a natural tendency towards those in power to consolidate that power. And I think the internet provided a really effective means to consolidate power on a scale not seen before. And the uh, we need a quite um, revolutionary antidote to that um, if we are to escape the consolidation of power. And this is, I'm thinking you're talking about the Facebooks and the Googles? That's one element of it, yeah. Okay. And so... The antidote is decentralization versus maintaining this power centrally in these big tech companies. Decentralization is a means to an end, but it's a very powerful means. Yeah. So what what is decentralization? Um, essentially, well, it has a couple of, of different um, meanings to, to a few different groups of people. Um, uh, the meaning that I, that I use it in and that I think is today the most important is uh, what some call political decentralization but it's um, it's essentially reducing the amount of um, of power over a system that any individual um, economic actor um, has um, so most of our political systems 
um, whether they're you know the military, government, democracy, even as it's as it's implemented today, um, or corporates, um, they all have a relatively hierarchical power structure, whereby essentially um, there is oftentimes one or very few individuals at the top with decision-making capacity, like over you know, at organizational level uh, decision-making capacity. So we, we kind of naturally centralize. And then there's like a, a degree of delegation that happens to the levels until you get to sort of the bottom level where there's very minimal decision-making capacity. And this is, um, you know, of course, there are sort of more novel organizational structures that are being proposed and, in, you know, at times um, kind of implemented, or at least flirted with implementation. Um, most of the big ones still are um, these very top-down um, power structures. And decentralization really is <clears throat> um, about trying to... Uh, remove that power structure, at least in a structural way, like at least in a way that makes it non-negotiable. Now, not, not to say that a decentralized system cannot have small versions of this power structure in it, um, in the same way that a capitalist economy can have, um, you know, a company that has a, a boss with, with, you know, employees and, and so on. Um, that's no problem, but that doesn't make it a command-driven economy. It just means that there is a, a, a you know a component that exists under you know notionally fair rules, uh, competing with other companies um, and providing um, services and selling goods. And that's that's really what what we come down to mean with these with political decentralization. It's about not. Um, uh, placing all the decision-making eggs in one basket, or at least if we do, not doing so in a uh, in a structural fashion. Is it weird for you to be here in Davos, where like all those people at the top that you just mentioned are gathering? Uh, it's an it's an odd collection walking down the street. It really is. Yeah. Why, why are you here? Why? Yeah. Um, I. Why am I personally here? Or why is... Well, it's very interesting to me that you know if you're talking about how we need to decentralize and. You know, it's a political form of decentralization. We're down the block. I mean, of course, we're not in the event, but we're down the block from all that centralization. So is it is it a political message to be here or is it just like this is a convenient gathering of people? Um, what, what about Davos made you want to come? Um, I would be, I think it's an, I think overall there are relatively few forums in the world that collect together quite the same set of people. Um I think that the message is important, and I think that the, it's it, there are sort of competing messages all sort of going under the same banner. You know, you walk up the street, Web3 means quite a lot of different things depending on where in the street you, you decide to uh, take off and go to a shop. Um, and I think it's, uh, it's, I don't, I wouldn't want the message to become um, overly diluted or uh, otherwise misused. So I think, like with any forums, um, if if there is something that you that if there is a point of education that you that, that makes sense to get across to people, um, you know you you need, to, you need to join the conversation and you need to um, uh, to make it clear. And you know maybe um, maybe those uh, some of those people are somewhat um, ideologically. Um, uh, not not necessarily super aligned, but I think there's people here that that have um, open minds and that have uh, you know a desire to understand where the world's going and understand what um, 
uh, what frameworks and toolkits will um, will exist in the future to you know help the world get to a better place. Okay, so let's let's continue on on um, the Gavin journey. So you watch what happens with Snowden. Um, you believe there's too much centralization of power. It's too easy for the government to go in and listen into what you're doing, and you decide to apply a technological solution to that. Mm-hmm. So what happens next? Well, I mean, I didn't. It, it wasn't quite as like step one to step two there. Um, it might. It kind of set things up in my mind a little bit. It it made me. Um, I think over over the last ten years and probably longer, but over the last ten years, I have moved from a uh, a sort of let's say trust ambivalent um, stance, trust neutral stance. Like there are there are banks and government and all this sort of thing. And I, I, I kind of have to trust them and that's kind of okay. I, I you know, they, they can leave me alone. I, you know, it's, it's, it's all good. Um, and over those 10 years, I have felt um, that what my expectations, what that, that which I had been given to expect had been, um, had been, had not been honored by those who should be the ones honoring it. And it's not that I sought to fix any specific thing. So it's not that it was like, oh, uh, you know, here are the Snowden revelations, uh, government spying on honors, especially in the free world, um, against what, what appear to be the law, right? The laws of the world. Um, I will fix that and prevent them from spying on me. No, I mean, I could have started encrypting all my stuff. I didn't. I, you know, there, there are concrete steps I could have taken to sort of at least fix it for me and maybe even help fix it for others. That wasn't really the, the, the path that I went on, but it helped um, cement in my mind that technology does need to be created that will allow people to, or will allow the world in general, um, to deal with this kind of trust issue in the future. Like, I don't believe we're going to be able to Anyone can wave a wand and suddenly make everyone trustworthy. Suddenly make all organizations trustworthy. Um, I don't believe electing a politician is going to do that at all. Like, not a chance. I reckon the world had a pretty decent chance with Obama and not much changed, right? Um, he got through a, 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 you know, a, a healthcare bill that was really just US-centric and... Um, that is you know, increasingly being repealed now. It's like, I don't, Guantanamo Bay is still open, security services still run amok, there is increasingly little uh, judicial oversight of certain things. So I don't think politicians are the way to fix um, uh, fix the trust issues of the world. In many respects, I, I think they're the problem. Um, and I think it would be better if, I, 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 and so I'm, I'm looking for a, I'm looking to create new tools such that um, we have alternative solutions to this problem. And so that's where Ethereum comes in. Yeah, so this, this kicked off in uh, late 2013. Um, and um, so what, for, for the listeners that are tuning in that don't fully know what Ethereum is, uh-huh. can you explain it simply? Uh, it's a... Um, it's a... It's... It's sort of a derivative, in some sense, to, like, men, like technologically speaking, of uh, of the Bitcoin protocol, which is, um, you know, this this uh, decentralized currency. So Ethereum's like a decentralized currency, and it adds additional um, uh, programmability to right. 
um, that currency. So you can build on it. You can, um, yeah, you can, you can program the money. Right. Essentially. Now we hear about this a lot. And for those of us that are not in the space, this is where the point of confusion often comes in because people know that there's, you know, they hear about this new web and they hear about the programming that you could potentially do on top of blockchains. Uh, but we don't have any programs that most of us use that have been built this way. So what's going on? Is it a technological problem or is, is the hype a little bit too early? Where are the programs that are supposed to be built on top of this technology? Because it sounds nice in theory, you uh-huh. know, distributed, the government can't spy, um, you know, and, and maybe even users are, you know, have some ownership through tokens. But, you know, that's what I, where I think the disconnect comes for the general public and the Web3 community where, you know, folks are trying to at, they look, they hear all this, it all sounds good, but they're asking, where's the cream filling? Like, what's going on inside? Um, it's uh, it's a little bit like uh, sort of taking the home computer revolution in like 80, 81, 82, and sort of asking, hey, you know, um, where's... Uh, Where's the AI? Where's the uh, where, where's the you know where's the VR? But, but, the where's the- but the difference is we have much more powerful computers now than we did back then. So is it a computing power issue? Um, no, no, it's it's more of a so we've moved up a couple of levels since yeah. then. Um, so we've we've got powerful computers and we have um, pretty decent um, connectivity. Um, we have. Um, a incredible level of like accessibility so we can you know access all this um you know the internet from all sorts from from these tiny little devices that we carry around with us we've come very far in that regard but there's still um a substantial amount of um of a gap in terms of um the the higher level elements so um these basically boil down to software um so software libraries, software development kits, um, services, and integrations. Um, so when I think integration, I'm really talking about you know integrating with the the rest of the world's services, whether they're digital or meat space, doesn't really matter so much. Um, and we we make you know we are moving slowly there, but it will take a while. It's not it's not um, it's not something where uh, you can sort of click your fingers, invest a billion dollars, and expect like in three months' time everything to have been changed over. Um, it, it takes a lot of people to understand. It's an education problem as much as it is a technological problem. People have to like get their heads around what this is. Like a lot of Web two could have been built on the technologies that we had five or 10 years before Web 2 arrived, but they weren't. Web 2 didn't like, didn't come around until people had got to grips with the web, the internet, when they, you know, they'd had the, uh, they understood, you know, the difference between like a phone line and a DSL line and uh, all the, you know, um, they understood what, what, um, how to, how to sort of connect to the internet. They understood the difference between a computer that was connected and a computer that wasn't connected. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of base level education that has to go on. The world has to come around um, to a new way of doing things. Right. And so um, let's talk about how in an ideal world, when, when we get to that point, a Web3 application 
let's say a Web3 communication application, um, would solve some of those problems that Snowden had pointed out? Like, is it, it won't be able to be hacked by a government or, you know, what, what does it look, how does it look like different uh, for the user mm-hmm. that, as opposed to, you know, what, what we have today built on the blockchain or? Um, the blockchain is one very important component of this, but it's not the only one. I mean, blockchains work largely through um, two sort of distinct technology sets. One of them is cryptography, which just basic mathematics. And the other one is game theory, so mm. economics, right? And these two together combine to allow for what we, what we call like blockchain, um, trust-free computing. But blockchain, broadly speaking, there are a few avenues that, that are sort of a little different. Um, but bro- blockchain, broadly speaking, um, is a very transparent system. It doesn't help users keep hold of their data right. of itself, right? Everything on Bitcoin is on the, it's a public ledger. You can see all the transactions that happen. Same with Ethereum. Um, now, there are, <clears throat> there are technology avenues that are aiming to reduce this um, uh, sort of public nature of, of the information, um, but they tend to have a, um, an unfortunate side effect that it centralizes the computation. So it actually ends up centralizing some of the information flow as well. And that's kind of problematic. But Web3 in and of itself is about trying to reduce um, at a broad level how much we trust, how much we have to trust. It's not that trust is necessarily a bad thing, but that the requirement to trust essentially means blind faith. It's like, I have no choice but to trust that the security services are not trying to snoop on everything. You know, I have no choice but to trust that the judge in the court is actually unbiased. Um, and this is like, it's not a great position to be in because if you have no choice but to trust, well, that means that you're basically powerless and that, and you have no way of actually ensuring that you're not under an arbitrary authority that can essentially tell you what to do without any real reason um, or rationale. So... This is the the broad Web3 technology set is about building technologies that allow us um, to uh, to not have to trust. And there are two that, roughly speaking, cryptography and game theory that allows to do this. Blockchain is like a composite technology. There's also um, uh, encryption, a branch of cryptography, that allows us to communicate in a way that we don't have to trust an intermediary communication um, um, middleman mm-hmm. uh, in order to have some credible guarantee that um, our our communication is private, right? And this is sort of one of the issues with the internet pre-2013 was that we weren't using encryption by and large. Services were HTTP, not HTTPS. And that little green lock symbol that you see in the top right of the browser wasn't there most of the time. Uh, these days it is, and we have you know, we have a little bit more credible expectation that we have privacy over our internet communications. Great. Um, Web3 is sort of saying, well, how far can we take this? Can we gain more credible expecta- more credible guarantees that our expectations will be met? Like we had an expectation even pre-2013 that we weren't being br- mass- massly spied on, right? That mass surveillance was not, um, was not being uh, sponsored by our governments. And yet it turned out that it was. So um, given that, as a technologist... It's like, it's my job to say, well, okay, looks like this was a step in the right direction. Great. Um, Billions of people have a little bit more 
credible guarantees over their expectations of the world. Um, but can we can we push things further? Yeah, and I want to ask you more about um, the ledger being public and how that what that means for privacy. But I'm going to hold that for the second half. I want to conclude this half with a question that's been puzzling me uh, since I started really looking into this stuff. So I went to El Salvador and just kind of ran into the country's Bitcoin experiment where Bitcoin is legal tender there and started listening to some of the podcasts that were talking about this um, and how to, how they were going to make Bitcoin the currency in El Salvador. And I've heard you sp- speak about it. It seems like it can be helpful to avoid some of the fees with remittances. But when I, when I listen to Bitcoin people I don't know what the deal is. They hate Web3 people. And the Web3 people can't stand Bitcoin people. It seems like you'd have common ground. What's going on in that rivalry? Um, I'm not sure. Um, I suspect that the Bitcoin people that are not super keen on the Web3 people are probably just on Web3 movement. Um, Maybe um, think of it a little too much in terms of the, uh, the NFT hype stuff rather than um, the underlying... um, uh, let's say social and uh, technological direction. Um, I certainly have very good, uh, you know, uh, relationships, very good friendships with all, with people in the Bitcoin space. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, th- and I, mean, I, I don't know about the Web three people who, who who don't seem to get on with the Bitcoin people. Wow. I, I think you know, there's probably um, some degree of, of you know, it's kind of sad, but some degree of tribalism that happens here. Um, but uh, I suspect that uh, modulo a few, a few of the sort of, um, l- l- let's say less uh, less in it for for the movement, more in it for the money people on both sides. I think I think there is a lot of shared um, desire um, to use this technology to to really um, you know help uh, get society onto a better footing. Yeah, no, I, I would think there would be more common ground, and it is interesting for me to see the Bitcoin maximalists. People like Jack Dorsey, for instance, you bring up Web3, he says, you know, it's a fraud, something like that. However, his idea is to use some of the same technology for some of the same ends. Yeah. We're here with Gavin Wood, the co-founder of Ethereum and creator of Polkadot, uh, live from Davos and playing on the Big Technology Podcast feed. We will be back right after this. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors. I'm Lars Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. Here on the Big Technology Podcast from Davos uh, with Gavin Wood, the co-founder of Ethereum, creator of Polkadot. So we've spoken a lot in the first half about the theory of Web3, of blockchains and Bitcoin. 
Let's go to something more practical. So I was asking, where is the cream filling in the first half? But um, there's an interesting headline in uh, Protocol this week. It says, Ethereum's co-founder thinks the blockchain can fix social media. And not only is it a thought, it seems like there is something that's in action right now. So I'd love to hear you expand upon that. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, social media suffers um, from much uh, many of the same problems that we we've already been discussing, um, namely opaque, largely unaccountable, um, uh, very centralized entities um, that are in charge of uh, the control services that um, a lot of the world rely upon, um, and that have demonstrated themselves as being either uh, uh, incapable or, um, uh, you know, asleep at the wheel or, or, or worse, uh, in their duty. And, um, you know, while I, I think that, uh, I think people should really be, uh, the ones to, um, uh, to be responsible over their own choices, you know, authority start, authority and responsibility start, uh, start at home. Um, nonetheless, I think I think that uh, we need better frameworks and tools, technologically speaking, to allow people to make the right choice and make a choice where they don't have to trust these centralized entities to um, uh, uh, to provide them with the services that they rely upon. And so, tell me a little bit more about this protocol that you're working on. Yeah, I mean, this is a collaboration. Um, and uh, I'm happy to sort of uh, uh, yeah, announce that, that you know yeah, Polkadot yeah. is is the you know sort of underlying um, uh, technical framework um, that uh, you know this will be uh, implemented upon. Um, what is this? Uh, it's uh, well, it's a combination of technologies. It's like a, it's a stack of technologies, as all good technologies should be, right? So you can choose where where on the stack you want to come in and build, uh, but um, essentially it's a, it's a, a very general social um, uh, social networking protocol, um, sort of conceptually a, a social graph protocol. So basically, um, manage it, a means of like managing the connections um, between individuals, humans on the planet, um, and also managing um, the uh, the information that individuals have associated with them and that potentially can be associated between the connections of individuals. Um, so it's a, a very, very kind of um, uh, uh, abstract um, platform on which the sorts of applications that can be built are those which we, we sort of br- today think of as the, the big social networking things. But, you know, the hope is that it will also, as a platform, facilitate many more uh, kinds of applications, and they won't have to build up a social graph from from the bot from you know, zero. Um, they'll be able to uh, very easily. Users will be able to very easily sort of um, not migrate, but sort of um, uh, um, share or, or, or copy or, or um, utilize these additional products and services um, without having to. Uh, sort of do all of this horrible um, signing up, bringing your friends over and all the rest of it. So the idea is essentially I would go in, build my social network on this protocol and then be able to export it to different applications. Uh, so, yeah, you, it, essentially, yes. And likewise, you'll be able to build, go in, build your application on this platform right. and users will be able to sort of 
come across en masse relatively easily, but it would be their choice, right? It, you, you would still have to kind of pitch the application to them. Um, but in principle, it would be an awful lot easier to break these, you know, incredible um, uh, moats and barriers um, that the social networking giants put up around their social graph. You know, I like this idea in theory. However, I think about it in practicality and I have some questions. So the idea of, okay, build your social graph on the blockchain and then maintain control of it and give it to certain applications as you see fit makes sense. Then I think about the nature of the different types of applications or the different types of graphs that I have on each application. So for instance, Facebook is my social graph, Mm -hmm. LinkedIn, my professional graph. Twitter is a, a asymmetric follow model where I and it's an interest graph, really. And then something like TikTok, my graph doesn't actually matter because the application is looking only at my behavior with the follow as a somewhat of an interesting signal and saying, this is what I should show you. So how does the fact that every application has its own unique graph then sync with the idea of making a graph portable? Because it seems like it would only be useful in some cases and not others. Well, the graph is, um, if we... If we think about it, a conceptual model, it's still just um, nodes and connections, right? Individuals are the nodes, and there are connections between them, whether it's following, liking, um, being friends. And this is really the, this is why I say it's very abstract. Um, it's it's a model that can uh, that can be, that can be used by all of these applications. But you're right; each application will use this model, this 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 underlying data differently. Now you say that uh, oh well, you know, LinkedIn is professional, whereas uh, you know, Facebook is social. I mean, there are plenty of, there's so much overlap there, at least for me. Like, I, my my work life and my private life are, you know, fairly heavily um, uh, overlapping. And there are many people that would exist on both of them. And it doesn't really make sense for me to have to add them on one and add them on the other. Similarly with Twitter, like the, the uh, I, I think like everyone on LinkedIn and everyone on Facebook are Twitter followers as well. So why would I, ha- why would I want to replicate these connections um, so many different times? Say with Instagram, Instagram, it's like basically the same as Twitter. Um, not all of them will use the underlying data in the same way. As you say, TikTok may take it as a, only a very sort of, uh, the, in terms of the services that it provides, may only take a relatively glancing look at the um, at the actual social graph and, and use alter, you know, alternative means of deciding what content it will show you and when. Um, but in principle, there are an awful lot of um, applications out there that um, are using the same basic data, um, but that data has to be entered uh, to every platform, and that data is under the control, and you know, who knows what they're doing with it. If you want to read their terms and services, they're usually pretty opaque, and most people don't. Um, who knows what they're doing with it? Um, and so now, instead of having, uh, you know, you have control of your data, you can sort of decide this. Um, uh, this application can use it for this per- for this means, this purpose. Um, and that application can use it for that means and that purpose. Uh, you now have uh, 10 applications plus maybe, I don't know, depending if you're a big social networking user, maybe it's like 20, 30, 40, 50 applications, all working on kind of more or less the same data, all using it the way that they want, which means it's uh, you've got a multiplication of the amount of uh, trust that you're needing to give for your personal data. And I think, um, and this came up in an earlier conversation, I think this this turns a lot of people off. Like a lot of people are not super keen on, I know I'm not, on sharing, you know, all of the information with all of the providers. 
Um, and as such, it limits what what kind of products and services can be provided. Like if there's not that much information being being given um, by the by the user to the application, then the application can do accordingly relatively little. Um, if if we get to a model where um, where individuals are, are sort of happy to, in some sense, input their um, their information, their data into the services because they know they're not handing it over to a third party, but rather to a algorithm that's been audited by many different entities, um, at least one of which they actually believe um, that uh, uh, is. Um, is processed in a means that doesn't allow for um, an arbitrary, you know, some third party to actually inspect it all and, and do whatever they want to, you know, advertise various stuff to them that they don't want advertised to them or conclude certain uh, socio-political things that they don't want concluded about them, then uh, we're in a much better um, uh, situation. Like, it's much more likely that a person's going to sort of give up more information. I know I would. Um, so... I think, I think as long as we rely on centralized service providers that have absolute control and visibility into the information, um, people are not going to give up as much information as they would otherwise. So uh, in the protocol article I, I referenced, there's a line in there. I think the belief is that data disrupts the model. You, know, you change the way that these companies hold and process data, you end up in a better society. So I want to hear your critique of what's wrong with the social networks today and how changing their relationship with data, changing our relationship to our own data might fix it. I think what's wrong with them is pretty much what's wrong with um, all of this sort of centralized um, inf information uh, communication architecture. It's, um, it allows um, we as, as uh, decision-making, uh, independent, sovereign decision-making entities to be manipulated. And if you can manipulate people en masse, then the world doesn't turn into such a great place. Um, it's, you know, I, I think the democratic is often used as a, as a means of trying to say um, we as sovereign decision-making entities should should be empowered um, through, you know, the ability to inform ourselves about the world and through the ability to sort of make decisions based upon that information. Um and I don't think I think I think that is with the services that are being provided to us at the moment through the big social media uh, companies. That's not being that's not working so well. Um, I think we are losing the ability to inform ourselves well, um, and we are uh, increasingly being manipulated. And so, is your idea that if we have transparent algorithms out there that you know maybe we can choose? then we'll be in a better better position. Yeah. Um I, that, that's mean, yeah. That, that's right. No, that, that that's that's quite that, that Why does is, it have to uh, be web3 versus allow the web2 companies to implement that. Um I mean the issue is that we can't trust that they have actually implemented that. Like we can't trust that they're running these algorithms on their servers and providing us with the results in an uh, in an unfiltered format. We don't know what data they're running. We can't see that. So, it, like the data, the the data needs to be. Um, we need a, a trust-free way of doing this. It's not enough to say, "Ah, oh, well, you know, I trust Mark Zuckerberg. He wouldn't. He wouldn't. Uh, you know, do anything yeah, bad to me. I you don't know." I think you'll hear many people saying that. So. 
Right. And so we need Web3 is, is really just, you know, a proposition of a technology stack um, that can do exactly this, that allows us to have the data to know that uh, maybe no individual person can see the data because we have all of this great technology that allows us to um, um, consolidate the data without an individual person having the power to actually look at it. But we can run algorithms on it if we all agree on it. If we all agree that, yeah, this is an algorithm that we want to run on our collective data and we want to see the results, great. Then if we don't want to run that algorithm collectively, then we don't run it. It doesn't get run. And it's not that Mark Zuckerberg can come along and say, well, actually, I quite like to know the results of that. Um, I shall run it anyway. So your idea is that people would collectively decide which algorithm they would want to be run on the whole platform versus pick individually. And maybe there's like a rage quit option where before, if you really don't want the algorithm to be run on, on you know, on, on a consolidated piece, uh, consolidated data that would include your data, then you can rage quit and remove your data from it before the algorithm gets run, right? So yeah, the, the, anything that, that allows um, a, collect, a collector's information to be processed, that there must be a collective decision-making um, effort to, uh, to ensure that 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 it's not being done without the permission of, of, of those uh, of those individuals. And if their permission is, look, give me 50 bucks and, you know, have at it, fine. But, you know, at least there's transparency. We had Nick Clegg in this space here yesterday. He's the VP, no, the president of global affairs for Facebook. And I try to explain to him, like, listen, do people rate the amount of uh, enjoyment they get out of social media and in recent studies, it's been the last out of every leisure activities in terms of the, its ability to generate happiness. And what he responded was, we have 3.5 billion people that use our products every month. Clearly, they're not that upset. So I want to ask you about the willingness of people to actually jump onto, you know, something like you're proposing and leave Facebook. I mean, well, it seems like, yeah, well, I'm curious. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. I mean, I want to hear you respond to what Clegg said. And, and, and get, How many given- smokers are there in the world these days? Okay. Three and a half billion as well? I'm not sure. And they're obviously quite happy with the product from uh, Marlboro and mm-hmm. uh, all of the rest of them. Um, look, I mean, people are hooked, right? And they're hooked because of the network effects. We've, we've, it's super. There's huge amounts of inertia. Um, it's, not that, uh, it's not that the product is necessarily, um, is necessarily like so amazing that the, that the individuals um, uh, are, are using it purely based on that, it's, it's that um, there is a, a service being provided that the individual has decided that they now cannot do without. Um, classic addictive product, right? Classic, uh, very similar to, to, I would say, like the nicotine industry. Um, and I think we, uh, the, if this can be like, I don't know, some means of allowing people to get the the same like social fix, but without the bad, uh, uh, I would say like potentially democracy destroying elements of it. Um, then great, you know this is a, this is a, this is a good thing. Do you think people will collectively vote to have an algorithm that shows them more boring stuff but less rage filled things? I don't think it's. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that like everybody would need to do this. I would. I look upon it as like lots of different groups of people, um, some of which overlap. And these different groups, it's like I'm in a group. I'm in this 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 set, a social set, and I want. Uh, I care about this particular group. I care about like, hey, what's the uh, average? Uh, um, uh, give me the average political 
considerations that this group has, has concluded. Um, give me the extremes. I want one of the extremes, right? Let me, I, I don't know. There's all sorts of like potential algorithms and products out there. But the point is that as long as we have only, you know, three or four places in the, in the Western world, at least, where this discourse is happening, um, and therefore three or, three, three or four centralized uh, organizations that get to dictate the rules of the discourse, and the, um, the forum, the mechanics of the forum under which it happens, then that's, that's really not a great way of, of allowing um, technology to continue innovating and continuing uh, to uh, facilitate um, healthy discourse. If we build social networks on the blockchain, does that mean the posts that people put there are immutable and permanent, even if they want to delete them? Um, this is, uh, you know, so at least with Project Liberty, this is, the blockchain isn't going to be used as like a means of uh, like a data depository. Um, it's uh, it's really more as like a permissioning infrastructure, um, and then all of the data stuff comes on top of that. Like all the data stuff happens largely off chain. And this is how you like have the ability to keep things relatively um, uh, um, uh, 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 private, like solid um, expectations that, that, the, that privacy will be respected um, without uh, having to put it all in the hands of like a single trusted entity that will manage all the permissioning for you. Um, in principle, the technology is that then able to handle, you know, manage the encryption on your side so that the people or the groups that, uh, that you want to see certain elements of your data are able to see it, um, whilst still having reasonable expectation that, that, that the data won't be passed to a, a, a broader um, uh, set of individuals. Yeah, and I was going to, I teased it in the first half, I was going to ask you what happens in a, in a situation where um, you're using the blockchain and a lot of that stuff is public. But uh, and, and so how does that deal with privacy if you're using a social network built on the blockchain? But I think you just answered the question. That stuff will be stored outside and the blockchain will do some of the other stuff. Yeah, so the, I mean, the, the idea is of the blockchain that um, primarily it's, it's about uh, permissioning. So it's about managing what, what the arcs in the social graph are, what these connections are, and what, what um, privileges those connections have. And these privileges, the set of privileges uh, and the structure and, and, uh, and sort of language used to describe these privileges might be different for different applications. That's, that's, that, that, the whole point of that is that it's meant to be sort of able to be uh, extensible. Um, and the underlying technology, ideally, you know, that, that uses some of the more advanced levels of cryptography so that we can um, store these, the social graph um, and store the information, the, the sort of metadata of this social graph um, in such a way that um, it, it doesn't, it, it retains still a substantial degree of privacy. Now, ultimately, it may be, uh, it may not be as simple as, um, I share this information with this group of people and uh, there is no way that that information can ever get outside of this group of people. I mean, you know, for a start, you can always take a, get your camera out, take a, a shot of the, the, the screen of the display. And it's like, yeah, okay, some, some photo can then be shared. Like it, making it be completely end-to-end, -end, absolutely 100% private is not really the goal. The goal is to give people credible expectations um, that their privacy will be respected. And, uh, and I think we're, you know, 80 plus percent of the way there from, from the Facebook model um, um, uh, by, by, you know, using this technology. I have to go back one more time to the will of the people question. I mean, it, it does seem like 
It seems like all the well-meaning folks on social media would want to use your solution, and all the angry people who are getting clout from being angry would want to stay. So maybe, I'm curious if you see that as an adoption barrier, maybe enough of the folks that the trolls want to troll will move over, that they'll end up having a shell of a platform. I mean, what's going to happen there? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's hard to say, but I mean, the I would hope it's not a singular platform. I mean, the, the whole point of this is that it's extensible and that many different applications can be developed on top of it. Um, and I, I would I would expect that um, people will will follow where the discourse is, you know. Uh, is is most enlightened is most enlightening yeah um, and uh, and over time I you know if the trolls are the ones that tend to stay on the on the legacy platforms then sweet leave them there yeah um, so I, I also want to talk to you about um, transaction fees because the the big barrier for building something like a social network on maybe a blockchain like Ethereum has been that the gas fees would be out of control to make any transactions. You'd have to pay thousands of dollars. So understand this is going to be built on Polkadot, um, which is the second second blockchain you've created. Um, is it going to have the same issues in terms of transaction fees and gas fees that the others have? No, from the ground up, it's been built to have um, you know scalable decentralized security. I and mean, that was from the... 2016 paper on Polkadot that I that I put out. Um, that's really what the uh, what the premise of this is, and um, you know uh, it, it achieves this through essentially dividing, you know, division of labor. You know, pretty pretty obvious stuff, really. But uh, the engineering behind, like ensuring that the labor is divided, um, but we retain the security of uh, that a decentralized system provides is. That's the hard bit. Like that engineering is uh, is non-trivial, and it's sometimes mentioned, but like I, I think it, it does, you know, it does deserve um, a, a special uh, point. You know, I, I built the original version of of Ethereum, you know, like C plus plus Ethereum, back in uh, early 2014. I don't know. I I got something working after a month or two, right? And that was pretty much just me. Um, and it's taken me and a whole load of of, of really great engineers four plus years to build uh, Polkadot. And um, it's not that we, we, you know, we had, I don't know, some sort of terrible car accident at the beginning and we were just like debilitated or something. No, it, it take like the engineering effort required for this. Plus we have a research team working behind us, um, making sure that, you know, what we're doing is is sensible. What we're doing is actually secure. Um, it, it it takes a long time, and it's you know I I would sort of extend the same point to the Ethereum two folks like building it right, getting it right takes time. And if you if you see people like touting that hey we've got a solution already, you know it only took us six months. Like, that's that's very lying. unlikely to be um, uh, to be the breakthrough that they're that they're suggesting it is. Uh, but yeah, and and there's a lot more to come as well. Like. Um, we already we opened the, uh, uh, the the sort of labs division at Parity at the beginning of this year. Um, Parity company, primary company building Polkadot at the moment, and uh, this is like looking into um, super scalar, super scaling ways for uh, super scaling methods for Polkadot. So like we're we're really looking to push beyond this like um, uh, uh, even thousands of transactions per second. That's uh, um, uh, that's like 
a bit of a, a sort of a goal right now and looking uh, in the in the next three or four years um, to be uh, uh, orders of magnitude greater. You know, it was interesting to hear you um, a couple of minutes ago talk about how the blockchain would be the guts of, you know, these potential social networks, but they would still build a lot of stuff off of the blockchain, just as you would with a normal company. Is that really, is, is that kind of like the, the um, where the best case scenario is for Web3, right? An internet built on top of the blockchain is that the blockchain serves as some of the guts, but we still use regular, regular programmed programs as, um, as the things that mediate most of our experience. You know, there was this great post from uh, Moxie at Signal that talked about how, I'm sure you've read it, how no one wants to set up their own server yep. um, in that we basically just want platforms to do the work for us. So is the future that you envision a future where platforms will still do most of the work for us, but they'll just have a slightly better architecture inside that can assure us that there'll be a better experience or, or that they'll take care of our data uh, in a way that the others wouldn't? Or is, or is there something bigger? Am I missing something? Um, the programs that are programmed will still be Programs. Software. There'll still be programs, right? No one's. Uh, I'm not. I'm not suggesting that it's going to be a case of like, hey, speak into the microphone. You know, make me a, uh, make me a, a new currency. Make me a new um, uh, taxi service company. Like, it's not going to be like that. Like, it's uh, or at least maybe it will, but that's not going to be the blockchain element, um, or the or the Web three element. Like, I think um, uh, it's still going to require. Um, normal software developers doing normal software but the apis will be different and the means that you'll think about architecting will be quite different when i went to university back in the 90s um the you know the the way that we architected a system was client server like that's what was taught it, there wasn't really we i didn't have a single class on peer-to-peer -peer decentralization it was not a thing in academia um and funnily enough, when I went back into uh, my old university back in 2014, May 2014, and uh, tried to show them what Ethereum was, uh, they uh, zero interesting questions and uh, z almost zero interest. Um, it's just like it didn't like decentralization and and, and uh, you know a lot of a lot of the more novel elements of cryptography, um, a lot of uh, you know peer to peer um, and game theoretic stuff. It's just not really a big thing in academia. It's get it's getting there, but it's not really a big thing in, in established, um, an established, uh, 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 you know, computer science software um, circles. And I think this is going to change. I think it has to change. Um, people have to be educated better on what it means to build a system that is secure in a peer-to-peer, -peer, you know, under peer-to-peer -peer circumstances and trust-free circumstances. Um, you can't just like uh, put the server code down. Now do the client code. Did the client code just trust the server code? If the server says that this is that, then then it is that, and you don't question it. No. And what Moxie, one of Moxie's points that I thought was very interesting was that you know, um, at this point people are still falling back on that model. People are still falling back on the client server model, even in Web three. If you, half of the more than half, ninety eight percent of the DApps on Ethereum are not really decentralized. Yeah, a big portion of the logic. Uh, sits on the Ethereum blockchain, right? Great, but there's still uh, you still have to go through a centralized service to actually use the thing, right? You still go through Infura, which runs an RPC that's entirely trusted, uh, right? You, this is this isn't decentralization. This isn't Web three. Um, it's partly Web three. You know, there's part of the puzzle is done, um, and this is one of the things that we're really pushing forward in in Polkadot um, and the Polkadot ecosystem is you know what we call light clients. 
which is essentially um, uh, 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 getting the sort of the complete picture so that you can use a service and the service is is uh, is hosted in a decentralized fashion but also when the user comes to use it uh, it doesn't go through an, another just centralized service provider to help you do that um, and uh, and yeah I, I, I fear uh, that the, uh, you know in the industry at large it's you know it's it's patchy at best this um, you know this this attitude that decentralization um, is either is you know absolute or it's worthless uh, but I think I think maybe things are changing at least in terms of um, the political environment that, that this industry sits yeah and I think a big part of that is um, the economic environment and I want to close on this we're in the middle of a pretty big economic downturn mm. so I have a couple questions for you about that um, first is a couple of days ago uh, Vitalik tweeted that he's not a billionaire anymore so are you diversified or are you in the same boat uh <laughs> Uh, for that, I'd have to ask my uh, family office manager, and uh, I'm not sure he's at liberty to say anything. <laughs> Let's get him on the line. Phone a friend. Um, all right, but uh, the actual stuff, so Ethereum is down 44% year-to-date. Bitcoin is down 34, 35% year-to-date. We just saw what happened with Terra and Luna. Um, you mentioned that one of the things that the folks, uh, the Bitcoin folks don't like about Web3 is that there has been a lot of, like, you know, uh, froth around things like NFTs and scammy projects. Do you think that this downturn might actually be a blessing in disguise for the space where the things that were on shaky foundations like Terra and Luna fall apart and the things that have some staying power are what remains and the industry becomes more credible as a result? This is a very, very big silver lining <laughs> to that cloud. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, of course, if, if there's less money floating around, then... There are a few doors that that, that get closed, um, but overall, I find you know I've I've been in uh, I've been in one or two bear markets before, and overall, um, I find that it's uh, in terms of in terms of building in terms of the technology, it's it's quite a lot. Things make more sense, you know. There's uh, fewer people are hyped up about nonsense. There's a bit less nonsense going around. Um, and there's, uh, in, you know, other silver linings, like, you know, it's easy to, um, to pick up, let's say more, um, uh, 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 talented individuals. They're not being stolen away with a, you know, big dollar signs in their eyes. Um, things get, things get more real and that's, that is a good thing for those who are building real things. Mm-hmm. Well, Gavin, you know, I've had a lot of conversations about Web3, and it's nice to have a conversation with someone who's a proponent and who will sit and talk about some of the criticisms and help flesh out um, where the opportunity and weaknesses are um, without becoming defensive or dogmatic. And I, I really do appreciate the conversation. Thank you, Gavin. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Cheers. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, it's been an episode of the Big Technology Podcast. If this is your first time listening, I invite you to subscribe in your podcast app of choice. We always love a rating. Um, we will be back with multiple episodes here um, from Davos over the next coming weeks. So we hope you tune in. And until next time, take care. Take care.